Hey everybody, what's up? It's Phil back again with another episode of the Space Runaway Podcast. So, this episode is a little different than normal. This episode is the audio from our panel, What's a New Type? A Beginner's Guide to Mac Anime, from the Crunchyroll Virtual Expo 2020. So, it's a little weird, like it wasn't designed really for the podcast, but... I think it'd be cool just to have it there as reference for people, and you can go back and listen to us talk about really giant robots and uh, a genre that we really, really have a lot of love for. Like the show is named after Space Runaway Edeon, a show that me and Blau both love very dearly. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I hope you come back and join us uh, next week or two weeks or so. We'll probably talk a little bit about the Tokyo Game Show, and we'll also have a preview episode for the fall 2020 season. All right, guys, catch you guys later. Hope you enjoy the episode. Bye. Hey, everybody, what's up? It's Philip here from this. Philip Ambalau here. I actually can't forget about my best partner uh, from the Space Runaway podcast. Uh, we're here in front of you at Crunchyroll Expo 2020, and uh, we just going to give you a little bit of a mech rundown in our panel what's a new type a beginner's guide to mech anime so we'll give you a little bit of background on who we are and then we'll talk about our panel we'll get right into it i don't really want us to ramble too long like we can ramble um so first who are we like we're from a little small podcast called the space runaway podcast we talk about anime and video games mostly a lot of fighting games a lot of old anime um, and it's just us and our cavalcade of friends and we just kind of talk about whatever's on our mind at the time so like we should have like you might find an episode about the fgc you might find another episode about some weird obscure 80s anime yep so what is this panel right so like you know get from the name we're talking about giant robots but it's more than that. We want to go through like all the many decades of mecha anime and like give you some shows you may not have heard of. Uh, we, me and Blau and I, we love giant robot anime. Like it's really what yeah. got us into anime, and it's not as popular I think as it once was. Would you agree, Blau? Yeah, I'd definitely agree. Though, like in recent years, we have like seen a bit of like a rekindling of interest, especially in the states with. Captain Iron Blood and Orphans, like shows like Darling and Franks. Yeah. Things like that have really kind of just brought back the entire idea of mech anime to the mainstream. And I think with that, like, because of those shows picked up so much steam, like, we just want to give you some more to watch. And if you want to join us and talk about some more mech anime, like, we'd love to talk to you about it. So I feel like we've rambled long enough. So let's go ahead and get right into our panel, okay? So, let's start with the early days, right? So, in the early days, like, we can't talk about giant robots without the granddaddy of giant robots, Tetsujin 28. So, Tetsujin 28 was created in 1957, and it's the first giant robot anime. Now, Tetsujin is interesting because technically most mechas are piloted robots, right? Gigantor is not piloted at all. Uh, the boy in the, that many of you remembered, uh, especially as Gigantor ran, it was dubbed in 1964 in America, but it ran a lot in the late 90s and early aughts, usually at like 5 o'clock in the morning on Cartoon Network. But Gigantor was piloted by a remote control. He was like a giant toy that beat up all his foes, very Monster of the Week show. So, like, he's not the first piloted robot. Uh, to talk about piloted robots and more modern ideals in Mecha, there's one person we have to talk about. So that one person is Golden Nagai. So I'm gonna let Bilal give us a little bit of information about Golden Nagai. So essentially, Golden Nagai was his um, big contribution was basically creating the first actual piloted giant robot, which would be Mazinger Z. Like this basically just changed the whole game up because until then we basically just had Tetsujin 28, which was just a remote controlled robot. And yet other types of robot shows where yeah, like there were robots but they weren't like piloted mechs. Like you didn't even have that concept until going to guys creating that because they Yeah. So he also introduced the whole concept of a combining robot with his work with Ken Nishikawa and Getter Robo, which was essentially like the first like 
piloted robot where you had multiple pilots. So he introduced two big concepts in that campaign. So with Gona Guy, he is essentially the granddaddy of giant robots. Like he invented essentially the genre. Um, but he had more contributions that we want to tackle other than giant robots. Uh, there's two anime we want to talk about that he also made. The first is Devil Man. Um, Devil Man was recently uh, added, ad- adapted uh, for the Netflix anime Devil Man Crybaby. It is very yeah. good. Yeah, it's really good. You should go out of your way to watch it. Um, it is not for the young or faint of heart, but it is very good. Uh, he also made Cutie Honey, which also got a uh, new adaptation recently. Not as good as Devil Man, but it is uh, one of very one of the early shoujo anime, especially strong female leads. So for this next part of the panel, um, we're going to do this so often. We're going to go to a clip. Uh, our clips can't have sound, especially be kind of weird trying to do sound with uh, with us, you know, still talking. So we're going to talk over them a little bit, just let you see what the art style and what everything is like back at that time period. Yeah. Uh, the first clip we're going to look at, which I'm going to go ahead and start. This clip is from the anime Grindizer, Great Mazinger, Get a Robo G, Fight the Giant Sea Monster. So in this, as you can see, there is a giant sea monster, and our giant sea monster, and our giant sea monster here, um, is fighting our enemies. These shows at this time period are very much. Um, Monster of the Week, we're going to fight with our power of courage and friendship, and we're going to defeat all the giant monsters. Yeah, pretty much. So I know... Essentially, it's just like uh, very much like just Monster of the Week. Um, And you had your episodes where it kind of just pushed through like the general overarching plot, but yeah, generally it's just like just a lot of over-the-top giant robot versus monster fights yeah um now also for this one i know Bilal, you were telling me one time before that uh it's very odd mazinger z is the first uh giant robot you think he would be in all these crossover cross-ups but he's not in this one yeah yeah because basically like so this features grandizer like in the canon for grandizer like koji the protagonist of mazinger z no longer has mazinger z and he's Basically, the protagonist of Grindaz is like sidekick almost. Oh, he's been demoted. Yeah, pretty much. So, in this, there's a really cool explosion. It's one of my favorite explosions. Um, once we see this explosion, we'll move on. As you can see, everyone yeah. has their super moves. They're yelling out all their attacks. Yeah, and that was that's basically just like another staple of like mech anime from this time. Yelling out your attacks and just generally having like a lot of beams and rocket punches and just all types of over-the-top weapons. So with our over-the-top super robots, like uh, that really energized uh, the popularity of giant robots to the, we have a, like a giant robot boom of the 80s. There are dozens upon dozens of giant robots that came out in the 80s, but we're going to talk about just a few, right? So in the 80s, there's a lot of things that happened, but one of the biggest ones is we're going to talk about uh, greater, darkier themes, as well as the res- the advent of real robots. So Blau, I'll let Blau explain a little bit about, like, what's real robots and what's super robots and what does all this mean? So basically, with the whole real robot and super robot thing was something that was kind of relatively recent to describe like the disparity between our older more colorful over the top almost like saturday morning cartoon giant robots versus the more like gritty drama field felt and more mature type of themes that shows like gundam had. and with the 80s we had gundam introduced to things which sort of just changed the entire idea of how you could tell a story through a mech anime because yeah. before that mech anime was just like kind of relegated to like the sort of Saturday morning cartoons like almost like a superhero type of thing yeah 
So we're gonna let two clips really get into this. One is from a 1980s super robot anime, and the other from a 1980s real robot anime. So the first anime, this is a super robot anime. Uh, this show is called Gunbuster. Uh, Gunbuster is created by Studio Gynex, right? And <laughs> Studio Gynex, uh, we will talk a lot about them later. They have created a lot of things that really have pushed uh, mech anime to the next level. This yeah. anime in particular is also the directorial de debut of one Hideaki Anno, uh, who we will talk in great lengths about as we get further on along the decades. So as you can see, yeah. like in the show, they're they're fighting a uncountable number of enemies. So there's still that super robot sort of like super powered superness. Uh, where they can just fight a million enemies and it's fine. Uh, but there's a sense of urgency that you can feel like in all their actions that Grindizer and things don't really have. And it's just a gritty, a more gritty feeling. Even the animation is grittier. Yeah. And, and another thing I forgot to mention during my whole explanation is that like another thing that sets the super and real apart is like the real, the real side of things has a more scientific groundedness to it even if it's just like pseudoscience it still has that there to like set ground rules on why certain things work and don't work and like gunbuster is kind of a weird case because it's a mix of both of those type of things yeah. because gunbuster very much has a lot of science behind things yeah, it really does. It uses a lot of the same pseudoscience that uh, a lot of Western novels use. Like, like Ender's Game uses some of the same pseudoscience, like about time and movement and stuff. Um, but once again, like, look at how many enemies they're fighting, and they can just catch giant—I I don't even know—giant mushroom ships and yes. blow them away. Yeah, and that's where Gunbuster kind of like falls through that line also yeah and just has that over the top like just like hot blooded type of thing going on yes um i really it's the big it's the mother maybe i think that's a good term for it of another anime we're gonna talk about that came out in 2006 yes. it's it is definitely the precursor to some other things that are to come yeah so i, I think we've seen enough of gunbuster we're gonna go ahead and move right along so, but I'm gonna let you talk over this one. This show is called SPT Leisner. Yes. Okay, so SPT Leisner follows the, the story of our protagonist, A.G., Asuka, who is the son of an Earthling and an alien race which is very similar to us as um, us humans. It takes place in the year 1999, and it also takes place in an alternate timeline where the Cold War never ended, so... Like, so, like, we have the USSR, the Soviet Union, and the U.S. basically in a weapons race on Mars, since both sides colonize Mars. And our protagonist, A.G., runs into the Earth colonists, like, just completely by chance, and he's attempting to go to Earth to warn them of the invasion by his people. So... Like, essentially, the story follows him and, and the Earth colonists trying to get back to Earth to warn everyone of the impending invasion. Now, this particular clip, uh, the laser is called the Blue Comet, and he's accidentally awoken its latent ability, but he can't control it, and it's kind of on a rampage. Yeah. So you see, that's why he just seems baffled by its path of destruction. So... Mm -hmm. We, we can't really talk about the 80s without talking about Mobile Suit Gundam. So, the first Gundam series came out in 1979, uh, created by Yoshiyuki Tomino. Uh, Tomino-san created a whole universe of content uh, called the Universal Century, right? So, in the Universal Century, uh, man has colonized space up until about the asteroid belt, and the Earth controls the people in space and the people in space feel like they should be free and they want equal representation and autonomy uh, against the earth people right uh, in the background of this there's a lot going on with new types which is the name of our panel uh, and our new types essentially are because people live in space 
they are starting to awaken latent abilities and for lack of a better term becoming space psychics yeah so mobile suit gundam had four main line series that's full 39 to 50 episode series i think they're all 50 episodes uh mobile suit gundam mobile suit zeta gundam mobile suit double zeta gundam and victory gundam those are the four main universal century stories um after that there are side stories that take place in between um, and different movies and such. So you have 0083 and Gun Unicorn and Shard's Counterattack. Um, and we're going to, hopefully this year, get another new one called Hathaway's Flash, which would be the sequel to Gundam Unicorn, which is very, very exciting if that does actually come out. So yeah. we chose a clip, not from the 80s. I know we're kind of breaking our own timeline. We chose a clip from Victory Gundam, from 1993's Victory Gundam. Uh, this clip really gets into the the heart of what makes Gundam Gundam. Also, mm-hmm. it touches on another theme that we'll talk about more in detail later, uh, Child Soldiers. Child Soldiers is a big theme of the Gundam series and really how yeah. war can make children grow up faster than they maybe should. So we'll, we'll let the clip speak. So in this clip, Uso Ewan, that is our young protagonist with his backwards cap on. He's definitely a 90s protagonist. Um, He is in combat with this uh, warrior, and they are in a fight to the death. Yeah, and essentially Victory Gundam starts with Uso basically just being a normal kid almost. He has some, like, um, survivalist abilities just from having to live alone in a remote area, but he essentially is still just the normal kid trying to live life, and he ends up joining a group of basically guerrilla um, guerrilla soldiers trying to um, undermine like the enemy operations in their area, and as a result, ends up inadvertently becoming the pilot of the Victory Gundam. Now, in in this clip, you'll notice that there's a lot of more realism. So, as you can see, like, the beam sword touched the middle of the shield, so that burnt the shield, so now the shield doesn't work. Um, Where Gunbuster, like, they would get tackled by giant mushroom cloud monsters, and it would just be everything is just okay. So, now, this particular scene, this final scene here, uh, this shows Uso... um, meeting his attacker so he's met his attacker and his attacker is finding out that he was fighting a child the whole time and he is very sad about this like this is a harsh reality for an adult you know uh career soldier to find that he's been not only bested by a child but that a child is being forced to fight in this war um, especially one as young as uso like uso is the youngest of all the gundam protagonists yeah, and it also sort of like it's sort of like a giant shock to him also because like this child he was fighting was someone he's hated with all his heart because this child killed his entire squad. Yeah. Now you can see Uso's like, I I, I, I I did what I had to do. I'm sorry. And uh he can't really handle that. such a somber scene. Victor Gunner yeah. is, a, is a hard pill to swallow sometimes. So, I'm very excited for this part of the panel. Blau knows I have a great fondness for our next uh, title, Super Dimension Fortress Macross. So, Macross um, came out in the early 80s as well. Um, it's, it's kind of the the rival series to Mobile Suit Gundam in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. It was created by Shoji Kawamori. If Gundam is more about the politics and the group dynamics that robots bring, Super Dimension mm-hmm. Fortress, it's very much about the emotional aspect. Um, it is very big on love triangles. Everyone yeah. is in a love triangle. Something like, like love rhombuses sometimes, like those weird love shapes. 
Um, there are quite a few sequels. So you have Macross Plus, Macross 2, Macross 7, Frontier, and the prequel series Zero. And the clip we're going to look at is from Macross Do You Remember Love, which is a retelling of the original series. Now, you may have already guessed from this image, but we, we, ha we can't, we can't, we can't uh, sleep over the elephant in the room. This show was Frankenstein together with a few other shows. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Bob, but Southern Cross and I think Orgus. Yeah, and I believe also shows like Moss Peter. Yep. I think the whole Super Dimension line, we're all Frankenstein together to make a different show starring Rick Hunter called Robotech. Now, I know Robotech is well-loved in the U.S. It's, it's well-loved all over the place, really. But Macross, to me, is a better, more satisfying series. It, it, kind of, it flows a lot better because it's not Frankenstein together. But Macross is, uh, not Macross, Robotech is very popular. If you like Robotech, you, sh you deserve, not deserve, you should uh, give Macross a chance and just see where the original came from. So we're going to watch some of this clip from Do You Remember Love? So when we talked earlier about the emotional aspect, it's more than emotional, right? It's like, what, it, what does it mean to be human? And what is the most important part about being human? And it's, it's our culture, right? It's our art, it's our songs, it's our love, it's all those things. So this scene here is from near the end of Do You Remember Love? Essentially, the enemies, the Zentradi, are, uh, well, maybe just, they're just, they're space Spartans. Yeah, they're uh, essentially like a group of super soldiers created by the ancient aliens civilization that was a precursor to everything in the in this universe. So like I know basically the ancient aliens god will have a have like a field thing to show. So basically what started the series, like all the events of the series was that the human race found an ancient ship which is the titular Macross, like, and this ship was left over by an ancient alien species called the Protoculture, which has long died out. And aside from the Macross itself, the Protoculture also left a race of, of genetically engineered super soldiers called the Zentradi. And the Zentradi, during their travels throughout space, came across the Macross, knowing that it was also from their precursors to protoculture, which led to the conflict in this series. So, on top of all that, the Zentradi essentially just fight. That's it, and they're very logical. So, in this, with, through the power of song, uh, it causes Zentradi to, for some of them, put down their weapons. Uh, but her song is so powerful. It's a great song. Like I remember being shedding great tears of joy to the song. I may have been also yeah. intoxicated, but. Uh, it caused them to turn around and fight the, oh man I forgot about this thing uh, to fight their own people because the song is such a bop as Bilal would say it's such a yeah. bop that they turn around and say we have to fight our own people because the song is so great we have to protect you yeah and it's also them kind of like since they are like sort of clones of the ancient culture people like Hearing this song like gives them like a deep seated feeling of nostalgia, like they lost something. Yeah. And like it's sort of like just like, well, I don't know what's going on, but like I just know that like this is the right thing right now. Yes. So we're gonna watch a few more seconds of this clip. It's kind of a long one, but uh, the Valkyries, the robots in this, they are essentially mechs that transform into people. Uh, not mechs. Jets that transform to people, uh, how would I say, uh, transformer style. Yeah. So they are very, this is probably one of the most grounded versions of giant robots. Like, honestly, like, if in two decades we had Valkyries, I honestly wouldn't be surprised at this point. Yeah, they very much seem like something that could actually happen in a way. Yeah, and they're very, very small in the realm of mechs. They're the size of jets. Yeah. A little bit bigger than a normal jet. Yeah, pretty much. Look at that. This is, These are our love triangle protect, uh, group. I guess everybody's over yeah. it now. 
So yeah. with that, like we've left the 80s and we're going to move March right along to our next decade, the 1990s. So when we talk about the 1990s, so you've had our super robots traded in the 50s to the 70s. And then we have in the in the 80s, we have our real robots. So in the 90s, a new thing started to happen. We started to get mixing of genres. So it wasn't just robots or mecha. It was psychological mecha, like Big O and Evangelion, which we'll talk about in a little bit. A fantasy mecha, like the vision of Escaflone. And even comedy meccas, like what our clip is from, Martian's successor, Nadesco. Yeah, like essentially in this decade... Mecha anime was actually sort of just dying, like, yeah. the concept was just getting old and tired. Even Gundam, like, this is why we got shows like Gundam Wing and whatnot, because yeah. they needed to redo the formula, because they it just wasn't working anymore. And I think a part of that is, there are so many mecha animes in the 80s, like, actual, mm -hmm. like, seasons and <coughs> seasons of just mecha anime, and not all of them are going to be hits, and all of them are even going to be good. There are some flops in there. Um, but we're going to watch a clip from Nadesco. So, in Nadesco, it is essentially a harem mecha anime with a lot of very real scientific sort of things. Um, our clip isn't going to talk about the harm aspects and talk about this character. His name is Guy. Uh, he's our one in the black hair. Guy is essentially the same character as every guy you've ever seen in anime ever. And his biggest thing is that he is an otaku. He really loves, for you see in his jacket pocket, he has his figure, a show called Geki Gonger 3, which is essentially Get a Robo a little bit, mostly. Yeah, it's essentially like just a homage to like all the just 70s super robot anime. And this show is like, it's pretty tongue in cheek about like him being just really dumb and being a mackerel taku and not really knowing what the hell he's doing. Yeah. I now will say this this show has a movie that follows up called The Prince of Darkness that is at 100% the exact opposite of this show in tone. Yeah, like this show like is it feels like it was basically supposed to be like a tongue in cheek sort of deconstruction of the old mech genre like cuz it does like a lot of lighthearted things but it also has some darker moments yeah. where it's like just like reality just kind of just smacks you in the face yeah like his his artwork here like he can still draw better than i can but <laughs> but like see he has his artwork his grand plan and then it's just yeah reality <laughs> can't do that in real life that doesn't work yeah pretty much like there's no like just pushing through things with courage and bravado or anything yeah like real life usually isn't that fair yeah. But it's still, in the end, is very lighthearted. Uh, but I always like to mention Prince of Darkness because I think I like Prince of, Dark, Prince of Darkness a lot, but it is the exact opposite of the show in every way. It's almost surprising yeah. how opposite of the show it is. Yeah. And, like, it's a definitely... It's also pretty confusing, confusing yes. plot-wise because, like, the Prince of Darkness was supposed to be... It was supposed to have, like a whole extra season of content to go before that to sort of set up for the movie, but that ended up being sort of relegated to a Sega Saturn-only game, yes. which covered that whole story. So, like, then the Prince of Darkness came out, so, like, people who didn't play that game would just be very confused. Yes, uh, it or, is worth a wiki dive if you do watch it, though. Yeah. One, like, why exactly suddenly our protagonist, Akito Tenkawa, is suddenly so edgy and stuff. It's super edgelord. Oh, so I guess edgelords should be segue into our next series. Uh, we cannot ever discuss giant robots, which I'm talking about 1995's Evangelion. Uh, Evangelion was created by Gainax in 95 by one Hideaki Anno, who also was mm -hmm. the director of Gunbuster. It is a psychological, philosophical deconstruction of the giant robot genre. It yeah. is very important. Um, I 
it, it, it is every anime fan should give Evangelion a watch. I know it came on Netflix recently, and it was a big deal. A lot of people were watching it for the first time. Uh, when yep. it came out, there was nothing like it. And really, there's been some things that tried to have done what Evan Ava has done, but nothing is Ava. Yeah, it's essentially just like, I wouldn't even consider it just like a mecha anime only at this point. It's yeah. like part of just like the whole cultural development of anime itself at this point. Yeah. So with Evangelion, along with it, it is 26 episodes, right? Um, there's the Death and Rebirth movies. Death and Rebirth are retellings of the first 24 episodes of Evangelion, right? So then after that, you have the end of Evangelion. So Evangelion essentially has two endings. You have episodes 1 through 26. And then end of Evangelion replaces episodes 25 and 26. So you would watch 1 through 24 and end of Ava takes place yeah. or 25 and 26. It's essentially two ending, like two ways the story could have ended. Yeah. Uh, end of Ava is, Evangelion is kind of dark to begin with, but end of Ava is especially dark. Yeah. Now on top of that, we have the rebuild of Evangelion which is a retelling, or I guess it started as a retelling. The first movie, you may have seen them, they're like Evangelion 1.11 and 2.22. Those movies are, the first one is a flat out retelling of like the first seven episodes or something. Yeah, pretty much. After that, I am not sure what's going on. Yeah, after that, it it sort of just kind of like turned into its own thing. Like, it's definitely very much, it's own beast and stuff and honestly I'm starting to think that it might just be like an alternate universe from the TV series or something because you have like a few like name changes like Oscar yeah. is no longer Oscar Langley Soryu but now she's Oscar Shikinami Soryu I just did I don't think I realized that but that's very yeah. interesting huh we might have to do some deep diving back into the rebuild soon before. Hopefully this year, 4.44 will release. It's been a long time coming, but hopefully once it releases, we will get the closure we are looking for. So with Ava, we're going to watch a clip from Ava. So this particular clip, Ava has a way of being dark and very lighthearted at the same time. And this clip really, really touches that. So they're fighting these angels. And essentially if the angels get their the angels are trying to get from point A to point B. If they make it to point B, it's a tower defense game. So if the angels get to point B, the world will end, essentially. Uh, this particular yeah. angel has two halves that have to be attacked at the same time. So they're using their double team move to attack both at one time. Yeah. Now, one more thing about Ava's is that Ava's is also one of the most grounded mechs ever. So it's so grounded that they must be plugged up to fight and if they're not plugged up, they can only run for 60 seconds because they take their giant and they run and stuff and they take a lot of power to run. Yeah, more or less. And like this whole series of episodes, because this was like sort of a two part episode, like this fight between this and you. So essentially, like before this episode, we had a whole training sequence of Asuka and Shinji. Basically training together to be completely in sync for this whole battle. Not only were they training, they were training using DDR machines, so that that's that's yeah. always a plus. Also, this thing has great classical music to it. Just phenomenal mm. classical music. That's too bad we couldn't have audio on this. Hopefully next time or next year when we're all together we'll have audio and we can uh do this again. Yeah. So even after all that, they were in sync at the very end. They still fell on top of each other. And now they're just kind of yelling at each other a lot. (laughs) So another thing that happened in the 90s that Blau kind of touched on earlier was the Mobile Suit Gundam alternate universes. So the Universe Century is still the mainline Gundam story, but uh, Gundam is grown so that we get alternate universes of Gundams that can do different things. So an example would be Gundam Wing, which is boy band Gundam, and it's very popular in this waltz. 
Uh, we have G Gundam, which is Gundam's version of a super robot. Like, what would happen if Gundams could shoot laser fists? Then you get Gundam Seed, which is kind of a re, a reimagining, maybe like a, like a a spiritual successor of the first Gundam. Same thing with Gundam Double O. Yeah, Gundam Double O is like more of like it's a mix between the politics of maybe Zeta Gundam and Gundam Wings, like cold dynamic of having like a group of multiple young pilots and stuff. Yeah, the boy band. Um, now I will bring up Gundam Age. Gundam Age just recently released in the United States. It is a cool ideal. It is Gundam JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where each season is a protagonist, and the next season that protagonist's son, and the next season is that protagonist's son, and it's the grandson. And you can see like their whole family as they fight this fight. It's a really interesting ideal. Yeah. Now, our clip is from a show called Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. It's one of the newest Gundam shows to come out. It came out in 2016. I'm going to go ahead and start it. So, in Iron-Blooded Orphans, they really, really dive into the child soldiers aspect. Yeah. And... This takes place in, like... It's, it's very, like... It's very pretty much relevant to just, like, political and economic instability in general. Like, it just takes place in a world that's broken from centuries of war and child soldiers are a commodity and sort of a necessity for them to, like, be able to live in stable lives and have an income because, like, there's just no other opportunities. Like, it's just the most lucrative lifestyle for them because they don't have anything else aside from being able to just fight. And on top of that, like, like, it's also a necessity for just mercenary companies because, like, there's so many destabilized regions that, like, having, like, mercenaries just expendable to be able to fight for private companies and stuff, like, that's a really big and lucrative thing in this universe. So, it very much touches on the corruption of, like, what could happen in a world where there's just, like, so much poverty and instability and war. Yeah. Now, this show also has a unique thing. It has dual protagonists. Uh, you have Orga, that's our uh, white-haired friend here, uh, that is kind of the brains and the soul of the story. And then you have Mikazuki, who's our actual Gundam pilot. Mikazuki is very much the muscle and the, the arms of the story. He moves the plot forward, but Orga is the soul behind it. It is a very interesting dynamic, and I, I haven't seen too many shows attempt it, and I think they pulled it off very well. Yeah. And, and as you can see, like, Mikazuki, he's very much a follower of Orga. Like, he's always looked to him to guide the path for him, and that's how it's always going to be. Like, they just have that bond. Yeah. Since childhood. Other thing with this show is it's even more grounded than normal Gundams. Like, there aren't many lasers at all. Like, they have yeah. big sticks of metal because lasers are expensive and take a lot of energy, where metal sticks work much better. Well, like, the in-universe explanation is basically, like, centuries ago, lasers were common, but over time, they ended up sort of shooting themselves in the foot because... They develop armor that pretty much reflects and refracts lasers. So, yeah. like, then they had to go back to the basics with lob ammunition and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a very raw show, and even if you're not a fan of Gundam, like you just were like, oh, I'm not really a fan of Gundam. Uh, Iron Blood Orphans is worth your time. It is a unique spin on Gundams. Yeah. So. We've talked a little bit, and this show obviously isn't from the 1990s, but it very much fits the feel of those alternate Gundams, which is why we stuck where we stuck it. But let's talk about 2000s. The 2000s are really, really fun uh, because mechs kind of had a mild resurgence. Not even a mild, a big resurgence, especially in the middle of the decade. Um, yeah. 
one big reason behind this is you get computer generated mechs so you can do very large scale battles where you couldn't do that previously everything was usually a few enemies and if it was large scale it was usually relegated to a movie or film like char's counter-attack yeah um you also get the revert return of super robot enemies uh so Godanner and gun cross sword and razephon and aquarion they're very much super robot animes but they are like spins on them so like Godanner, it's by the number super robots but it's also a very fan servicey show so it feels like a product of 2003. yeah uh, we also get more even more comedy mech enemies. so we have things like full metal panic like fumofu and stuff where mechs are like um vehicles for comedy a lot uh Full Metal Panic now is also very can be very serious, especially in the main in second raid in the new season. But like, there's a lot of slapstick in there as well. Yeah. So this clip is from Fafner in the Azure. Like Fafner, like this clip in particular is actually from the second season of Fafner called Fafner Exodus, which is more recent. Like came out in like. 2016 or so, I believe. Mm-hmm. And Fafner is basically a series that I honestly wish was way more popular. Like, it's sort of, when it came out originally, like in the early 2000s, it sort of just got it, got like just instantly dismissed as an Ava clone just because it has the whole concept of children fighting in giant robots against an alien threat or something. And it's really not that at all. Like, Fafner's story basically takes place in the near future, where humanity has been finally getting into reaching out into space travel and whatnot, and a discovery was made of alien life, so we sent a broadcast out into space, which gained the attention of the enemies that we see our characters fighting now, called the Festum. The Festum are basically like a form of alien life that essentially wants to assimilate everything. Like, they're essentially a hive mind, mind group of creatures that they find, they understand things by assimilating them into their hive mind. So when they came in contact with us, like the first thing they would want to do is assimilate us to know what we are and what our intentions are. So, which led to the conflict in Fafnir where the initial invasion, most of the human race was essentially wiped out and entire cities were wiped off the map. So as a way to counteract this, like humanity created secret societies, which like this island that the main character cast is from called Tatsumiyajima, which where these children were raised basically as all potential pilot candidates for the Fafners. Because, like, just like Evangelion, like, children and teenagers especially seem to have a higher compatibility as pilots with the Fafners, which is where that whole similarity comes in. So, one thing you'll notice at the here at the end of this clip, like, look at the volume of, like, we're going to call them funnels. That's what they call these little ship things. Um, look at the volume they have in the early aughts we could have volume of things more um so you get more grandiose battles using the power of cg um now in 2006 2007 there are two shows came out that we're going to talk about uh they are really the 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 pinnacle of super robot versus real robot like they live and die by their types of mechs and they really uh, accentuate the differences the first show we're going to talk about is Tengen Top and Gur- Well, we're going to watch Code Geass first. Then we'll watch some of Co- Tengen Top and Gurren Lagann. And the second one is called Code Geass. So I'm going to talk about the Code Geass one a little bit. And then Bilal, I'll let Blau handle most of Gurren Lagann. So in Code Geass, it is essentially... The mechs take a back seat to the political thriller. In this universe, uh, Britannia, the... The Revolutionary War never happened, and there's a super British empire that's now taken over Japan. And Zero, this, uh, not him, the one in the mask, Zero trying to overthrow the Britannian government. It is a very jazzy 
show. Like, if, if they had to choose a music to describe it, it is very jazzy. It is a show of great entrances and exits. Yeah. And essentially, Zero is also our protagonist, Lelouch Lamparoch, who is a fallen Britannian noble on a quest for revenge, more or less. Yep. Now, there is one last piece we haven't mentioned, which we're about to see happen here very soon. So there are robots. You see the robots here. As the series progresses, they get more grandiose. Like, they're very, very simple for most of the show. But there are characters who have a power called the um, Gios, and it allows them to... You have powers, essentially Sharingan-like powers in their eyes. So, Lelouch's power is that he can look at you in your eyes and you have to do whatever he says, whatever it may be. Yes, and the first season doesn't really touch much on, like, the powers of other Gios users, but you'll see more of it in the second season. Yes. So, in this, he's trying to make a trade to get this... Japanese soldier that is also his friend uh, and he is going to make a very public play about this yeah and as you can see he's basically essentially first sowing seeds of doubt about the whole orange thing which he basically just made it one flaw to like just be like well make the crowd think like well what's orange and now he's gonna do his use his gias to put out his command so also his commands are like not even suggestion they are full on like I must do this or I can't live so yeah. he's gonna essentially turn on his own friends to make sure that Lucius command happens so they made the deal, and then they're going to make their swift exit out of here. So we're going to go ahead and move. They're going to try to stop him, but oh, they're going to make their swift exit. It's very, oh no. Elevens are what they call Japanese because they're province eleven. They, they don't call them Japanese. Like they all Britannians now. Yeah. And as you can see, Lord Jeremiah has now turned his gun on his own people to help make sure Lelouch is able to escape. He's going to let yep. them go with all his might. So now this next clip is from Gurren Logan. Yes. Uh, Gurren Logan is essentially a story where the human race has been driven underground and completely, completely destroyed and defeated by a race of anthropomorphic animal people that are called and fittingly the Beastmen. And our protagonists, um, Simon and Ka his friend Kamina, discover the two robots, Gurren and Lagan, and basically go on a journey of escaping from the underground and just reclaiming the surface world. Mm -hmm. And in this clip, as you can see, basically the two of them are going to discover the art of combining. Now, neither of them know anything about combining or even know this is going to work. This is uh, a lot of dumb luck. Yeah, like essentially, like this is a thing that only the Beastmen can do. And so this is like a very big thing for them to do. As you'll be able to see from the reaction of the person they're fighting, this is a Beastman general. Also, this show goes through Simone's a lot of his life, like almost his whole life. So you really get to see 
great character development. So it's not just really flashy moves and uh, like they throw planets at some points. Um, you get to see characters really, really grow, and I think that's part of partly why yeah. the show is so loved and it stands to the test of time. Yeah, and a lot of people might not like Simon McKinnon because like he's very much gonna have to have a lot of growth as a character. Yes. Like and it's actually like kinda like almost inspirational how much he grows as a character yes. throughout the series. And none of it feels forced. It is very it's yeah. very natural and it makes sense. Um by what happens. Like everything that happens flows and makes sense. Yeah, because at the beginning, like, communist sort of, like, kind of sort of takes the front seat as a protagonist in a way. Yeah. And, like, there's going to be a point where Seabone takes that role again, and, like, honestly, if you told me that that happened at the beginning of the series, I wouldn't believe that we'll like him more than Kamina. Yeah. But I ended up did liking Seabone more than Kamina. Also, this the transformation sequence is phenomenal. Yeah. Cross counter. That's very exciting. I'm already excited. Like I've seen this clip at least a thousand times, and I'm excited every time. So and like, also, and like this entire series basically just just takes a whole lot of homages from not only older neck anime, but just like just like anime in general. Yeah. Like, that cross-counter theme was very much some Ashita no Joe type stuff. Yeah, it was. Uh, there's some Fifth of the North Star references. There's even, I think, if I remember correctly, a JoJo reference somewhere in there. There's some Aura Auras. Yeah. Like, it's a very, 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 like, light-hearted. Uh, mostly light-hearted. Um, and, like, it, it, it's a sort of show that'll stick with you for a long, long time. Yeah. It's a very, like, show that's just filled with soul, more or less. Yeah. So, let's talk about the modern era. So, the past decade. So, 2010 is 2020. <laughs> so, anime, because it's, it's so much more mainstream. Like, we have so many more ways. It's not just, like, underground eight-part YouTube clips. Like, we can get yeah. it on Crunchyroll and Netflix and High Dive. And we're able to buy anime much more cheaply than we could even five years ago. So, because of this, like, anime is much bigger. Mech anime has, is much less, but usually when it does come out, it's really, really something different. So, we're going to talk about two shows that came out recently. The first, I'm going to let Bilal talk about is Knights and Magic. Uh, Knights and Magic is our uh, token isekai show. It's a mech isekai. Yeah, um, Knights and Magic is basically a mech isekai where our protagonist... He was a Japanese programmer who was also a mech otaku. He's a huge mech otaku. And he meets our near and dear friend, Truck Kuhn, and ends up being reincarnated as a very androgynous boy named Ernesti, as you can see. And he's essentially living his dream now in this, in this new fantasy world that happens to have giant robots in it. Now... To be 100% honest, this actually isn't even the first mech isekai. Like, yeah. you had stuff like Orb Battle with Dunbine, which is literally another isekai. Yes, it is. And Fishing of Escaflone, which yep. is also it's basically a shoujo mech isekai. Well, if we talk about oh. shoujo mech isekais, there's a show we haven't mentioned, Magic Knight Ray Earth. Is yeah, also a, Ray Earth yeah, is very well knows. loved. Yeah, like, this probably should have been something that we also added to the 90s. We probably should have. Well, next time. We'll give Ray up his own thing another day. Yeah, but Nights and Magic is essentially, like, it's a very fun show, honestly. Like, I ended up loving this show a lot because, basically, like, as a fan of mech anime, you can just relate with the main character because he's just living his dream. Like, he's piloting robots, he's designing robots. Yeah. Like, he's using his programming capabilities and knowledge as an engineer to basically create new machines that no one's ever dreamed of in this world. Yeah. Uh, this so show honestly, honestly, like, it's part of uh, 
it's part of mech isekai and like part kind of like a slice of life where you're watching some dude basically design mechs and present them to people. Mm-hmm. This show has a lot, a lot of heart to it. Like, like it's yeah. whoever the directors and their team making this really, really, really loved mechs and they wanted to share something that shows like just the thrill, like not always the battles and the dark. And like, we've seen a lot of that, just the thrill mm-hmm. of like, Oh, I made a giant robot walk. Um, that's very exciting. Yeah. And, like, this show also has some magic elements since it's basically, like, very much like Escafone and Ray Earth. It, there's a lot of magic in this world. Yes. But part of the mesh just happened to be part of, like, things people used to fight with. So, we're going to talk about our last clip. Or this is the last clip before we get to just kind of start winding down. Uh, this show is Darling in the Franks. is one of the newer shows that come out. It came out in the past two or three years. Uh, Darling yeah. in the Franks is a, another attempt to re- kind of capture the magic of Evangelion. I think it's done not the best job, but it's done a very good job at that. It is definitely its own thing, though. Um, yes. It, it has maybe one of the best openings ever, Kiss of Death. It's a great mm-hmm. opening. Um, also, yes. it has very good um, character moments. Some very odd, but very good character moments. So in this world, essentially, you have male and female uh, protagonists. And each of them have to pilot a mech. You need one male and one female to be able to pilot. So everyone has to, like, you have to have both. So our protagonist, a uh, hero, hero his male parts, I guess, don't work anymore, except unless he's with this girl, Zero Two. So this is him deciding that he has to go with her, even though she might be insane. Yes. And another thing about the setting is that basically this takes place in a world where most of the human race has been destroyed by these dinosaur monsters called the Klaxosaurus. And in an effort to actually fight back against them, humanity is essentially like kind of created a dystopian world where like people are basically raised simply to fight and like there's just no more loves. And the idea of like couples, like actual couples in terms of love is just gone. Like, the only couples there are are couples to pilot these mechs. Yep. So, like, that's a big theme that the series goes over. Like, what is, like, actual love? Like, what makes a relationship? Mm-hmm. Now, this show does get have a little bit of fan service stuff. Like, they have very odd-looking uh, mechs. Yeah. Schleser is very uh, sexy mech, I guess, for lack of a better word. But they are still very, very cool looking. I, I'll definitely buy a figure of one. And another bad thing about this series, like, aside from being, like, sort of like Ava, it also reminds me of Gunbuster at some point. Yes. The, the end is very much, very, very like Gunbuster. Yeah. So we've been through all our decades. We're up to modern times. Like, what? Why is it important to us? Why do we do this, right? So let's talk about the impact that giant robots have had. Um, let's talk about just Gundam alone, right? So Gundam series alone uh, is a five billion dollar U.S. dollar industry, right? Uh, there have been video games and books and statues and card games and amusement park rides. There's a giant walking attraction that is coming very, that's just been christened. It's just been christened now. That's very exciting. Um, Just on Gundam's power alone, like giant robots have been able to have a farther reach than just Japan or just Archon. Like everyone knows about giant robots. Even Western cinema, uh, Pacific Rim is a straight up giant robot anime. Yeah, it definitely is. Like, and the director himself, like, he was inspired by the giant robot yeah. anime. 
Then we have things like the Netflix version of this Voltron series, which is very, very good, as well as our, it's kind of in limbo, but still supposed to be coming, uh, Western release of this Robotech movie. Uh, all the, and, and we're supposed to get a Mobile Suit Gundam movie as well by Legendary, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, all these things are Western cinema and Western society saying like, hey, like this, this is really good content, but what can we do with this? Yeah. So also not just movies and like regular like arts and stuff like video games, obviously. So we have uh, Kojima Zone with the Enders, um, Titanfall, which is Titanfall Two. It has one of the best campaigns I've ever played in a first-person shooter. Phenomenal yeah. campaign, uh, and Super Robot Wars. Now, yeah. Blau, I know you're a huge. I am too, but you're a huge yeah. Super Robot fan. We you, you tell us a little bit about Super Robot Wars. So essentially, Super Robot Wars is a series of strategy RPGs, sort of like Fire Emblem in a way, that was very much a Japan-only sort of thing for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And they have just been recently getting English localizations, but not in the U.S., just Southeast Asia and stuff. So basically, Super Robot Wars games are like essentially giant crossovers of different mechanics and strategy RPG. And like there's a bunch of different ones that have different rosters and lineups that of different crossovers. And it's also even spawned its own series of like just original content only games because with each Super Robot Worth game they create have to create their own original story and protagonist. So it's like just a huge universe thing. Yep. It's also the the original crossover also have their own anime called Super Robot Wars Original Generation. Yep. So with that, like uh, we we hope that we're gonna go ahead and start wrap up and end. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our panel. You stuck with us to the end, and we, we hope you not only learned a lot, but hope that you were able to find a new show to watch. That's really what it's about. Like we just want to share the anime we love with all of you. Um, so like with that, like we're, we're gonna close. Like, if you ever want to talk to us, normally in a panel, this is the section where we would take questions. Obviously, we can't, we can't take questions now. Uh, but if you want to shoot us a question over, should hit us up at spacerunawaypodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter. And if you send us a question, like we'll definitely answer it on our podcast. Um, I, I really appreciate you guys spending your t- taking some time out and spending it out with us. And uh, if you want to hear more, you can find us at any of these uh, wacky places. Yeah. So with that, like, thank you guys. Uh, blog, anything else you want to say at the end? Yes, um, thanks for listening in, and I'm really glad I was able to just talk about something I'm so passionate about and maybe possibly inspire some more people to watch more mech anime, and who knows, we might have more fans and just a bigger following in general, because I really think a lot of this stuff is just super underrated. Yeah, man. I, I couldn't agree more. And with that, like we're going to leave you guys. Have Enjoy the rest of Crunchyroll Expo 2020. I'm sure there's a lot of other creators out there with a lot of cool stuff. Make sure to give them a watch as well. Have a great rest of your day, guys. Bye. All right. Later.